This is Real Estate Rookie episode 337. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I am here with my co-host, Tony J. Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And uh, today, we've got an amazing episode. Like, I feel like this episode could have gone on for hours. Uh, we've got Zoe on the podcast with us today, and she's going to be talking about glamping, about yurts, about unique stays, about land hacking, and all these different strategies that you might not know about, but that are great ways to break into the world of real estate investing and really position yourself as a solid Airbnb host. So she ended up living part-time in something, which was not technically a house. And when she no longer needed to live there anymore, she decided, let's turn this into a short-term rental. And um, it ended up being more successful than she could have imagined uh, to happen to her. And then we're going to go on and talk about her focus on unique experiences. And towards the end of the episode, she'll give us a list of like the top, I think there's maybe five things that you need to put into your properties to consider them unique. And when she says these things, they're almost like, light bulb things. It's not like, oh, you need to have this crazy wild thing, like a tiger in a cage that's, you know, <laughs> on the property. It's like things that Although you, that would help. <laughs> yeah, that would. And it's these things that are like, yes, it's actually not that difficult of a thing to do. And that little amenity really does help create that unique experience. Then um, one of my other favorite things, and then we'll jump into the episode, is how she actually takes her money. And instead of buying another property, what she did with it to get an even greater cash on cash return. Last thing I'll say, Ash, before we, we, we kick it over to her, we also talked a little bit about like analyzing some of these unique stays. Um, and, you know, she's got her approach. Um, but I've got a totally free Airbnb download. Like it's a calculator. I think I've shared on the show before. But if you guys just DM me the word calculator on Instagram, you guys will get us into you for free. But it's a good tool to make sure that you're crunching those numbers before you, you dive off. <laughs> yeah. the here. When I do short term rentals, I use Tony's calculator, too. It is, it is super great. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal Do Not Call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. 
Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent toretirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. Zoe, welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast. Thank you so much for coming on with us today. Let's start off with hearing a little bit about you and how you got started in real estate. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. I'm so excited to be here. We actually got started, I like to say, a little bit by accident. We started off in the glamping realm, which is not the most common way to start. And we went right into short-term rentals. We had a yurt that we were kind of living in part-time and we weren't in it all the time. So I told my husband, we should rent this out. And he was like, there's absolutely no way. No way. Someone's going to rent a tent. They're not going to pay for this. And He's like, it's not ready. I'm like taking the iPhone photos as he's telling me, like, there's no way. And I'm like, I think it's going to work. So we ended up putting it on Airbnb. It was our first go around. I didn't know anyone that was doing short-term rentals. I didn't have the podcast that everyone has today, the resources. And we literally, in a way, made ourselves homeless that summer. We were living basically in a rooftop tent and letting people rent out the yurt that we were staying in. So that was our first intro to short-term rentals. And after that first summer, I was like, we are onto something like there, there's something here. Yeah. Zoe, uh, you, you threw out a few phrases that, uh, I just want, hopefully you can educate our rookie audience. You talked about glamping. You talked about a yurt. What are these things like, <laughs> like break it down for the rookies? Yes. Yeah, so glamping is in a sense, you know, luxurious camping, I like to say. So a yurt is a, we have a 20 foot, 28 foot dome, you could say. So it has that lattice. Um, it's a canvas tent. It is more durable than a tent you would take camping. And it does have some of those creature comforts. So, you know, there is shelter, there's a roof, but you are not in a single family home where those walls are standing, the drywall's there. So it's those that are looking to be out in nature, engulfed in that experience. And that's who our clientele is and was from the beginning, honestly. So let me let me ask a couple of follow up questions here, if that's okay. Um, first, what what location are you in? What city are you? What city was this yurt in? Yeah, so we are in Colorado. We're about three hours from Denver, so we're not in that metropolitan, but there are yurts there, and we're more so. It's called the Western Slope. Um, Forty five minutes from Aspen, an hour from Vail, kind of centered in the middle of the ski resorts. So the Rocky Mountains have their own challenges as well um, to be hosting in. But Colorado, you know, you get those nature inspired folks as your guests already. So I, I just want to I want to dig in just a, a bit, if that's OK, on, on like the yurt specifically, because I, I do think it's a creative way to get started. And um, I, I guess first, what was the total investment for the yurt itself? So we do kind of pride ourselves on land hacking as a term that you guys have used with Kai. And that's a good way to put it is multiple sources of income on one property. That's what we really try to look for. And with our yurt, it is on a property that has also other structures. So, you know, that gets factored in, but the yurt itself was about 40,000, let's say 20,000 for the 28 foot dome. It comes in a box and in 72 hours, that year it was set up with three guys and then about a month to two months of build out to make, you know, some walls, paint a little bit, make it a little nicer. And within the first six months of renting, we made 30,000. So wow. just taking the cost of the year and what the year brought in, it was definitely a profitable endeavor after year one. Zoe, that that is phenomenal <laughs> numbers, right? To spend 40K, yeah. get back 30,000 in, in revenue. Um, that's a, that's a really good return on your investment there. Um, one question that I have, right. Uh, and this is me never having stepped foot in a yurt before. Uh, but is there plumbing? Yeah. So that's where as the owner, you know, you kind of get to decide what is the experience you're going to give your guest. So are you going to have those creature comforts or are you going to be more of that off grid setup? And what's cool today is with glamping, there's so many options. There's the composting toilet, 
There's, you know, vault tanks that you can kind of set up a septic miniature in your uh, yurt setup. And ours, because it was that land tacking, we were able to pull off utilities that the single family home does have. So I do think that factors in our nightly rate, um, being able to offer water and a kitchen and a stove. Um, we're on propane. We have a little miniature septic set up and then we pulled power from the main home. So we do have those creature comforts, but not to say you couldn't do solar, you know, composting toilet and bring in those similar amenities. Zoe, I want to know what were you doing that you ended up living in the year? Like, how did you get to here? <laughs> yes. I ask myself the same thing sometimes. Um, so I like to say my husband, he's definitely the visionary of the two of us. And I kind of, you know, put things into action and the detail that he doesn't want to do. So he had a unique vision to own a year before he even thought of a short-term rental, which is, you know, sometimes it's just things get, <laughs> they fall into place and it makes sense. So when he purchased um, this land, the year was the first thing to go up to kind of be a home base while the build was happening. And that happens with a lot of us that do, we only do ground up builds, renovations. We don't do anything as of now that has been a turnkey purchase. Sometimes I wish we did, but um, that is something, you know, people live in campers while they're building. They live in yurts. They live in tiny homes. That's pretty common, especially up here in the mountains. Like almost every single neighbor we have has lived in a camper or a tiny home. So it sounds crazy, but it kind of fell into where we were. And we were kind of, like I said, going back and forth. And I just saw a huge potential that when we weren't in it, why couldn't we try to make money? Like we were in it already. And because it's on a land hacking situation, the utilities are very minimal for the year. I let kind of the house pull the main expenses because that holds the mortgage, that holds the value. So really, you know, a hundred bucks, maybe every month and a half in propane and some cleaning supplies is about all we've got in terms of expenses. <laughs> so you can deem, you know, glamping. Sometimes it's considered pure profit or however you want to look at it. And Zoe, you had mentioned that you do land hacking, like mm -hmm. Ty Andrews, who was on episode 107. Uh, can you define that for us? Yeah, land hacking. I like to say there's a wide variety of options with land hacking. You don't have to do one way or the other to fall into that. But I like to think of it as if you can generate multiple sources of income on one property, you're in a way land hacking. Land specifically, that could pull into like, you know, Christmas tree farms, lavender farms, apple orchards putting a house on it. But I also like to give people the opportunity to think about maybe you have an ADU and a single family home. That's two sources of income on one property or a single family home and glamping. Or you could even think of it, it's almost like a land hacking, house hacking duo where you could have an ADU downstairs and you could have a short-term rental up top. And that's still two sources of income, whether you choose to short-term both of them or long-term, mid-term one and short-term the other. So we always try with every deal to get our best bang for our buck and get multiple sources <laughs> on that investment. Um, it's nice like plan A, B, C you can kind of have with that property. Before we go any further, what does your portfolio look like today? Yeah, so we have four short-term rentals um, all in the unique stay approach. So we've kind of dabbled with a build, you know, ground up single family home. We have the glamping aspect. We're doing a 1940s historic cabin that came down from Aspen, which is in like pure shambles right now, but it's going to be that for um, short, for short term rental for us, which will have two units in itself. So we have really kept into the mountains as our market. And I think next market, you know, we'll try to offset our peak in low seasons with a different market. So we can kind of capture year-round consistence <laughs> with our properties. Okay. Yeah. I definitely want to get into more of these different properties and their uniqueness. But when you first decided to rent out that first yurt, what did you have to do? What kind of steps did you have to take to get it rent ready? Mm -hmm. Was there anything you had to do different to the property compared to living there to have a tenant there? Also, yeah. how did you even, did you just put it on Airbnb, throw it up and you're done. Talk us through that first initial process of I'm going to rent it. Yeah. I think there's, you know, what we did do. And now years later, what I would suggest you do is looking a little <laughs> different. Um, but when we first started, and this is such a blessing now that I look back on it, is we literally just started. Like I didn't have 
the what ifs or the fear, you know, people, what if someone steals this? Like none of that crossed my mind. Maybe it should have at the time now looking back, but (laughs) I literally just took iPhone photos, made an Airbnb listing, you know, made sure with like insurance that we were good. Um, no one, you know, could get hurt. We were protected there and just let it go up and see what came. Um, you know, now in today's market, you might want to have those professional photos, make sure that decor looks on par, but it is to say that it worked. And I think a lot of us, when we get started, we think it has to be picture perfect. And that keeps a lot of us from starting because it can cost a lot to have something professionally designed or everything picture perfect. And that's something we also like to do is we kind of consider properties in phases because that makes it a lot more realistic to start earning that revenue and understand that, you know, in a year you might do another round of improvements to the property. You don't have to have every single dollar mapped out in the very beginning because that's going to keep you maybe years from starting. Zoe, one of the things you mentioned was that you you haven't purchased anything that was turnkey. And instead, you focus <laughs> more so on these projects and the, the quote-unquote unique stays. So first, I guess, define what a unique stay is and why have you focused on that niche specifically? Yes. So unique stay, I think everyone has a little bit of a different definition. And once upon a time, I think we might have only considered like a glamping or a really unique structure as a unique stay. But I actually want to broaden people's horizon that I think a lot of things can fall into unique stay if you do it right and you market it correctly. So it's not everyone's goal to own a yurt or a tiny home, but that doesn't mean you couldn't buy a single family home that does fall into a unique category. So I want to like expand people's vision about what unique can be for them because I don't think you have to be a builder or a contractor to really fall into that. And for us, it has looked like Location has been a big aspect. Um, we're big on like the views or what the home is encompassing in terms of the environment. So, you know, Joshua Tree, people go to Joshua Tree to feel like they're in that setting. They want to like stay in a house that they feel like they're in the national park in some degree. So we've really factored in that. And that has looked like for us, you know, a single family home ground up build, which is more of like a modern, it's a newer build. So it's not like super old or anything. It's not some crazy shape. And then we've also done glamping and then we're doing a huge renovation to a historic cabin, which that in itself, it is one of like a historic home in Colorado. So that brings in a unique touch in itself. So don't think that, you know, you're limited that if you don't want to build something from the ground up that you can't fall into that unique aspect. Airbnb, I think it was last summer that they did like their 2023 Mm -hmm. summer or 2022 summer release where um, the app really started to highlight a lot of the unique stays that are found within the app. And I, I think Airbnb, and you know, this is me, you know, theorizing, <laughs> I guess, because obviously I don't know the CEO of, of Airbnb, but my, my thought is that um, Airbnb, like as they continue to, to kind of gain market share from traditional hotel stays, I think they've realized that the unique experiences is something that they have an advantage over when it comes to mm-hmm. Hilton, Marriott, you know, all these other traditional places, because I can't go to, Hilton and book a yurt, or I can't go to Hilton and book a treehouse, or I can't go to Marriott and book a, a submarine, like all these crazy things that I've seen on, on Airbnb. So as a platform, I think they're really trying to incentivize and encourage people to build more of these unique experiences because it it, it draws more people onto the platform. So the fact, Zoe, that, that you guys are I think leaning into that, you know, before most people have kind of caught on, I think it, it's really gonna gonna do you guys well. Yeah. And that's a big part of why we've stayed in the unique space. It has its pros and cons. It, I will say, brings its profit. <laughs> when you're in the renovation phase and you feel like there's like no end in sight, the profit will come in the unique space. And something we've been like, we started in the pandemic. Like, you know, people like to tell me, Oh, it's not going to last during a pandemic or a recession. That was when we started and we still are doing it to this day. So I don't think, you know, that's a big excuse that I can uh, listen to many times, but it is growing in the Airbnb space. And I do think it brings a level of protection for your short-term rental business, knowing that you have that different approach. And that's why we've continued to go in that direction. And like I said, it has looked like a different angle for every property we have, but I personally believe the unique category is what's growing. It's what's keeping us apart from the rest. And It's not as easy as maybe it was a few years ago to just go buy that neighborhood home, furnish it, make it look cute and call it a day. 
we're seeing competition increase and people are getting better at short-term rentals. They're just getting better as hosts, better as investors. So that's where we also have to level up our investing game as well. So Zoe, you, you just said something that I, I, I got to comment on because um, you said you, you can't just go buy that regular single family home, throw it up on Airbnb and expect to, to still do well. And I think when you, when you hear of like the Airbnb bust, a lot of those hosts that are being significantly impacted are the ones that did exactly what you just said, where mm-hmm. they're just focused on, hey, let me buy a traditional single family home. I'll put a bunch of Ikea furniture in there and cross my fingers. It all goes well, right? Whereas now in 2023, in order to be a good host, you really do have to focus on providing your guests with an experience, right? Providing your guests with exceptional customer service and reinvesting into your properties when before maybe they were just these big cash cows where you didn't have to worry about trying to make them better for the next guest and you know this last year has really been a year of like retooling for us where a lot of our properties were going back and investing additional capital into them so we can make sure that in 2024 2025 we can continue to be competitive in those markets because you have two options as an airbnb host you can either try and compete on pricing where all you're doing is pulling down your prices to buy, try and be the lowest priced option in your market, or you can compete on experience. And Airbnb guests have shown time and time again that they're willing to pay a premium if they can get the right experience. So you have to choose which host you want to be. Yeah, I love that you said that because reinvesting back into a property, I think some people might feel like, well, with that profit, I could go get another property. But having two subpar short-term rentals or one great one can look a lot different in your portfolio and in your workload as an owner and if you're self-managing. So we actually, about a year ago, chose to reinvest about $35,000 back into our property, which was all profit. And that could have put us in another deal. But by doing that, we invested in professional design, professional photos for both of our peak seasons and a hot tub. And when we did that, it took our revenue from about four to 5,000 a month to a consistent 10 to 12,000 a month. And that like the house didn't move, the location didn't change. I'm not going to say there was much that could have factored in that difference besides the reinvestment we did. And that is proof that it really does pay off to reinvest. And I knew just seeing what the market was coming into, investors were coming in with big dollars that if we wanted to stay in the top 5%, we had to make that reinvestment. Like we couldn't keep operating at a level where we just wanted to take that profit and go elsewhere. So I think it's super important that people understand that it may slow your portfolio growth for a year or six months, but that property now generated double every month in revenue, like consistently. I have now year by year to compare. And that's definitely worth the reinvestment, I would say. Yeah. And, you know, people get so caught up on the unit count. Mm-hmm. But it, if you would have went and invested that into another unit, that would have been another listing to manage, another mm-hmm. rehab to manage, um, just more overhead. And the fact that you went and you reinvested it into this property might have even had a better cash cash return than yeah. taking it and putting it into another property even. So I I don't think that we've actually had a guest that has come on here and talked about how they actively chose to upgrade and put a large chunk of money into one of their current short-term rentals instead of going and investing and buying, 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 buying more. We had uh, Chad Carson on recently who wrote the book, um, Small and Mighty Real Estate Investor, where he talks about like, I don't want a ton of units. I like my small portfolio, but I, you know, optimize my properties. I stabilize my properties. And I I think that's great that you brought that up. So for somebody who wants to get into land hacking and what is the first step they need to take? Is it doing market research? Is it determining their strategy? Kind of walk us through that path they should take. Yes. There's a few ways I like to kind of approach it. One, you do need to determine what is your strategy. Are you a short-term? Are you trying to go long-term, mid-term? That's going to help you really decide your location and your market, which is kind of the next step of, okay, what's realistic for me to purchase in? Do I want to own a property in California for a lifestyle and profit play? Or do I want to invest in my backyard? That's really important to decide. And when you decide if you're going to do short-term or long-term, that's going to look different in terms of markets. But my biggest thing... 
I tell people and the biggest misconception is land is created equal, which is not the case. And you really need to understand when you go into these deals, whether you're wanting to build or purchase a property that already has a structure and bring glamping to it or another structure like an ADU, or you want to do a glam site, you really need to understand when you look at land, what are you looking at in terms of the value it has? Um, that can consist of understanding, is it raw land or is it developed land? Are the utilities already pulled to it? If not, what does that look like? Pulling utilities can be one of the most expensive parts of developing land if you don't factor in that land location accordingly. So I really like to encourage people, if you can look at a raw piece of land and feel confident at what that land can bring to you or what it's capable of having built on it, that's going to really be a great fundamental for you to get started in actually building or developing or putting glam sites on it. And that's not to say you have to build. You can land tack with the current structure already on it and maybe put an ADU in it or bring glamping to it. But you have to know if that land is suited to support multiple structures with the county. What's the first step to figure that out? Who should you be talking to? What do you need to research? What do you need to learn? Yeah, so I always like to understand when you're looking at land, are you looking at raw, which means completely undeveloped. So that is just dirt on the ground. That's what we all probably think of when we think of land. Or are you looking at somewhat developed land, meaning there's utilities, maybe there's power nearby, maybe there's been power pulled, is there a well already drilled? Is it city water? And are you working with city sewer or septic? So kind of understanding when you look at a price tag on land, I want people to understand why it's priced that way. And when you see something that's 5000 or, you know, 150000 it could look a lot different in terms of there's utilities pulled on the one that's more expensive. And that could save you a lot in the long run. So I always like to encourage people kind of start framing the way you look at parcels and listings a little bit different in terms of what are they capable of. And then also your county is going to be a super helpful resource in terms of what's legal to actually do. So I had someone who asked me about this land parcel and it was in like a floodplain and it was completely not buildable. But to them, it looked like a great deal because it was a great location. It was right near where they wanted to be. And I was like, but if we checked with the county, we would understand that this can never be built on. So this investment is not going to support the vision you have for the property. So your county is a great resource. Um, it's always good to go online, you know, check with what the county is stating about that property or where it may be. Does it fall within city limits, unincorporated? What is available to be built on the structure? And you can always call them. Your county is not scary to deal with or your potential county before you invest. Um, we always call if we can, we'll go in person because those are the people you're going to be working with before that property is actually live in the short-term rental phase. The property I'm actually sitting in right now, when we purchased it, there was a lot of site work that we had to do. And site work can get very, <laughs> very expensive, very fast. Our drive, just to put in a driveway, because it was literally just grass. There'd been a dri driveway at some point in time, but the grass was growing. There was no gravel brought up anymore. And it was $27,000 for the new driveway, for a gravel driveway, not even blacktop. It, it is a long driveway, but then also the well was dry. So we had to dig a new well and that was another $7,000. And it's just these things can all add up because you can look at the actual property You'd be like, okay, I need a roof. I need siding. But you got to think about everything that's around it too as to... We also had flooding. There was a pond here and the flood at, or the pond actually flooded into one of the cabins. So now we got to put drainage tile in. we've got to, you know, even animals, we've had to, you know, have trappers come for beavers and stuff that were damming up the ponds and creating more overflow. All these things that, you know, when you are dealing with land, especially acreage, there, there's maintaining the there's a dead tree, dead tree. You got to take those down or else they're going to fall in the house. All these different things um, that come into play and they can be very expensive if you are not considering them into your budget and you're just looking at the building as whole. Um, so now that we kind of talked about where you can find out about the utilities, things like that, what's kind of the next step in your development phase after you've done your research, you found out your information? Yeah. So that's kind of where, what is the vision or what is your strategy that you have in mind? So is the property 
you're looking at, is there already a structure on it? Um, you know, would you have to put budget into that property to then also do the second structure you want to do? Or are you doing complete ground up, um, builds, which I honestly will say, I do think in the next five to 10 years, we're going to see more builds for short-term rentals. I think it's just a reality that as the unique space grows, these homes <laughs> that are oddly shaped and triangles and whatnot, like no one has built 30 year homes to live in for their own primary residence to look like that. But now there's a market that you can actually make income off those. So I do builds, even though they have their pros and cons, I do think it's a huge tool in your you know toolbox to be able to take that on because we're going to see more of them. So if you are looking to build, that's where you're really going to work hand in hand with your county in terms of what does that permitting look like? What do you need to get that build into the county to get approved? So in every state, every county is going to be completely different. And this also can fall into a renovation as well. So we did, we're on a recent renovation with the same county we also built in. And we almost had to go through the same process of getting an architect, a structural engineer in there. We had to get the entire, and to me, you know, it's a renovation, like how complicated can it really be? But we had to do almost the same steps we had to do for a ground up build in terms of having the engineering and the architecture done, the building plans submitted, the county had to approve those for, you know, a 25 day window. And then once those come back redlined and approved, you have the go ahead to just go. But there's also counties like in Montana that they don't have building code. So you are literally able to put whatever you want up there. And that's why I kind of tell people, if you're going to invest in those counties, you might be better off building than buying because you're kind of buying someone's word of mouth. Yeah, that's true. No permits. <laughs> yeah. Like it done. was not built to code. <laughs> there was no permitting. It's like, yeah. who knows if that thing's going to stand. So Counties, you know, they're going to be your best friend, sometimes your enemy at times, but you have to know they're in it to ensure that their structures are safe, they're sound, they're nothing's going to collapse. Like it's your benefit to build to code. <laughs> Zoe, let me let me ask one question. Like in terms of playing nicely with the county or, or like expediting that process of getting your plans approved, have you found anything that like, okay, if you do this on your first submission, the chances of you getting like uh, revisions back is decreased? Yeah. So there's a few tips we've kind of learned. One, if you can try to work with an engineer architect that is more local in that county and has worked in that county before, that's going to help you a ton. Because like, if you go to our county, they work with the same like 10 builders. Like, you know, they could list off their main builders in the area that are building houses. Those are people that are in your benefit to try to get in your team because they know what the county sticklers on, what they're probably going to come back with. They can try to keep those red lines from happening. So when we went to find an engineer, we wanted to find one more local that has worked in this county. We also, with an architect, um, made sure they had experience in the Rocky Mountains. So like snow load, wind load. Um, we can't even buy the same windows that states, other states can. Like we had a glass slider on order and it's not legal to have in the state of Colorado. Like these are things that you want your team to know of um, because we're dealing with elevations. We had a fireplace that we were about to order and our building department, you know, head of building department called us and he said that fireplace is not legal at our elevation because it will not act right. It's not going to operate the same way a fireplace in zero elevation is going to act. So oh, that's interesting. I never knew that was even like, I, like a yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. When he said that, it like made sense because we've had guests tell us that our oven will sometimes act up. And at 9,000 feet, we've literally come to the conclusion that it's not the oven, it's the elevation. And it's just like a matter of temperature outside and what they're working with. So oh. these are things that like, if especially if you're doing this from afar and you're not engulfed in that county or in that area all the time, you really want to have people on your team to know these things. And we also try every time we talk with the county, we obviously call them. But if we can, and if it's possible for you, go into the county and actually shake their hand, get their names. Like <laughs> our head building department, he calls my husband by first name. He leaves in voicemails. They're like buddies. And it sounds silly, but like that's the guy to know. And we didn't have one round of revisions on our renovation. And given it was a 1940s cabin, we were ready for them. And my husband's convinced that because of his relationship with the building department, they, they let it go. Like they, we called them, we explained our situation being so old and historic. And they really said, we want to work with you and keep the history. And we appreciate you're not just tearing it down. 
So we're not going to hold you to the code of a brand new build in 2023, but we need to increase the art value. We need to increase the installation. But they still worked with us, so I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You mentioned a few times, Zoe, about like if you're doing this remotely or, or even if you're somewhat local about having the right team. So who exactly is that team that you need to build out? And what is your recommendation for finding those people? Great question. I So depending the strategy and vision you have, I'm going to say most of these people are going to be pretty common to need on your team, give or take. So, you know, don't take my word for it exactly, depending what your situation is. But an architect is definitely someone to have in your back pocket, especially if you're doing a build or an extensive renovation that you're taking structural walls. Um, an architect, and this was a learning curve for me, was <laughs> at one point, I was so confused what the engineer and the architect is doing and what's different and why I'm paying for both of them that I literally was like, can you explain to me what you do and what he does and why you're not the same? Because I don't get it at all. So don't think that you have to be a master at this. Like they, you know, they're professionals in this field. So an architect is great to have in your back pocket. They do a lot of the work in terms of the build or the renovation, getting something together. The engineer, surprisingly to me, was way cheaper and he was way quicker. He was like a four day. He just makes sure the thing's going to stand. It's not going to fall down. It can support the load of snow, wind, whatever you may have. And then you're going to want to have that contractor unless you're the GC, but most aren't, um, especially if you're doing this from afar, is that contractor is going to be your right hand man. He he's no house to read plans. He knows how to read those red lines. He is really going to be the central part of that build or that renovation or that glamp site. And, you know, you're going to bring in plumbers and electricians. They're going to come in, do their job, but they, you know, they really have their moment for like a two, three day window and then they're out of there. And the biggest thing I once heard actually at a conference Rob built was the best way to find a contractor is going to Home Depot at three or four in the morning and seeing who's in that parking lot. And that's who you work with. And that's who you go up to because those are the guys working and finding the contractors or the drywall insulation guys or whatever it may be on Google. You're finding the people that are smart enough to market their business, but they're not in it every single day working as hard as the guys that are at Home Depot at six in the morning. So it was kind of a funny way to hear it. But he was like, I'm not kidding. I've done tens of builds and renovations. And that's how I find my guys. And it's very word of mouth. We found our contractor because we had to do log exterior work on this cabin. The log guy said, Hey, you should talk to this guy. He's a really good contractor for log homes. We called him. He's the one we're now using. So you really do kind of have to pick up the phone and get those chain of commands going to find the right guy. It doesn't mean you have to do it, but that's been the way that we found everyone. I love the idea of like, you know, putting yourself out there. I've never done the 6am Home Depot thing to like find potential contractors. But what I love doing is when I see other active job sites, no matter yes. where I'm at, I always try and stop and get that person's phone number. So like Sarah and I uh, will we'll do like walks to the local Starbucks. It's across the street from our house. And there was a uh, construction going on in the unit space next door to Starbucks. So us being real estate investors, what do we do? You know, we walk over there and there's two two guys who were like drilling out the concrete to put the plumbing in. And we reached out and we, we said, hey, you know, we're real estate investors. Like, do you guys do residential stuff too? And they're like, yeah, we do residential. I was like, do you guys do just plumbing? They're like, no, we do plumbing, we do electrical, we do drywall, like whatever you guys need. So now we've got a contact that fast from just like sparking up a conversation. So uh, if you're a rookie and you're like struggling on like, where can I find these people? Home Depot is good, but like, just pay attention as you're driving around your neighborhood to kind of see where those, you know, jobs are being done and just hop out the car and introduce yourself because most people aren't going to turn down an opportunity to, to kind of get a new client. Um, what about the, what about the architect and the engineer? So just really quickly, like what's a, what's a good way to source those people? Yeah. So there's a few different ways you can find them. We honestly started kind of similar to that. Like we knew of someone who was building. So we called him and said, we walked by and said, who's your engineer on this project? And he gave us, we had two different quotes from two different engineers. And I always try to encourage people if you can, if you have the resources in your area to get two to three quotes for like any job, if you can, because you are going to get a wide variation of the workload, the timeline, everything that's going to consist in that bid. So we found our engineer 
I literally think through just like word of mouth, we picked up one phone call. They said, Hey, you should call this guy. We called that guy. He said, I'm completely booked out, but this person might be able to, you know, the engineers in the area know the other engineers. Like there's only so many that there really are working in that area. And with an architect, we actually called, um, we knew we kind of wanted to go towards the metropolitan city because there's going to be a lot more availability. We had an architect that was local come out and we had an architect that was about a two and a half hour radius. He came out and we got bids from both of them and it was astronomically different. The responses we got, same with engineers. We had engineers come in that were like, you're going to have to put beams in this thing, steel beams. You might even just want to tear it down. And then we had an architect come in, an engineer that was like, this thing has been standing for 80 years. It's probably not going to fall down. Let's just support it a little bit more and call it a day. And I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> I like could not believe the difference yeah. of the two. And that's an example of like, always get two to three if you can, because obviously you can probably assume who we worked with. But even with another big job we had, we were quoted 25000 to 45000 And we didn't pick the cheapest. We picked one in the middle, but we it was a good you know, gauge on the scope of work. Was it a, was the first bid a fair bid knowing that that second one came in? So if you can get a few different bids for a lot of different jobs, that's going to be in your best interest. Even with contractors, they're going to quote you a lot different. Um, and always ask for their past work. <laughs> Please look at what they've done. Don't take their word for it. If you know someone that they've worked with or they have a client that they're like, Oh, I just finished a job. Call that person ask them how the experience was working with them because that can really make or break, um, you know, someone's word is great, but knowing how their actions were in that job is way more important. You're trying to close on your next rental. So why is your insurance company dragging its feet with long lead times and never ending paper forms? It's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Once you, you know, I guess as you're... As you're doing the analysis phase of mm -hmm. these unique stays, I found that to be a challenge at times because it's like if you're building something that's really unique for that area, how do you accurately comp out or project the revenue for that property if you're the only 1920 log cabin in that area, if you're the only yurt, you know, that has the the creature comforts in that area? So what are your what are your steps for uh projecting the income on some of these unique stays? Yes, that's a great question. And there is, I think we're gonna see the analyzing of unique stays get better. So that should give everyone some hope if you're 
diving into the unique stay space. AirDNA just did a huge update and there's actually a way to filter by unique homes in searching on AirDNA and what they're bringing in. So we're just starting to see more come to the table. But what I always like to do is take into account, let's say if you're running a year, you're probably going to be a one bed, one bath, maybe if you have that bathroom, you know, spot. So start there in that market, start looking at what is your competition of one bed, one bath. You do need to take into account that you are bringing the unique aspect. So you can consider that more in your nightly revenue. Maybe you look at locations and there's, you know, no unique stay around you, but there's a few houses in that area or region that you would be hosting. And you can, you kind of have to take the pieces you can get and really piece it together. And then I also like to look at, so there's no dome within like 75 miles of us. So obviously I don't have a direct market to compare to, but what I will do is I will go into the state of Colorado on Airbnb and look at the domes that I do have insight on and start really analyzing those listings. Even though they're not in your specific market, if you're confident that your clientele in that state or market is going to want that type of experience, you can take that as market research. Um, and that's where I also encourage people, <laughs> please think of your climate and your temperature and your environment before you are like sold on a dome or a bubble. Let's make sure that like your region or market is going to support that. Um, even for us for the year, it can be all year round. And I 100% will not host all year round in a year. Like I, it's my host boundary that I know it's going to be sound good. It's going to look good on paper. It's going to sound good in photos and it is going to be treacherous of an experience to be in 30 degrees in a year in the Rocky Mountains. Like it is not ideal. So maybe an A-frame would have been a better build for a short-term rental because it could have been all year and still withhold the snow load and everything. So please think of one, your logistics you have with your market and location, but also what does your clientele want? I have seen in different markets, some people really attract domes and some really attract storage container homes and some love A-frames. So that's where you need to know who is your demographic and what are they willing to pay for and what do they want? Um, because they all fall into unique stays, but which one is going to do the best for you? I have this vision of staying in some kind of dome where it's snowing out and just <laughs> pretending that I'm living in a snow globe. So <laughs> if anyone that has that kind of yeah. short-term rental, let me know because I'd love to stay there where it's just like the clear dome and it's just the snow falling. You're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. I would probably go and try and stay at one and it wouldn't end up snowing the whole time I was there anyways, but... <laughs> Zoe, what are some of the unique things that you have done to your properties that make you stand out? So you had mentioned earlier in the episode, hot tub, and I was actually at Tony and Sarah's conference and Sarah got everybody to chant, like, say yes to the hot tub, do the hot tub. <laughs> like, yeah. So like, I, that is what I'm going to do. But so what are some of the unique things that you are doing? So we hot tub, I'm on Sarah's wavelength with that, like do the hot tub. <laughs> I have never seen it hurt someone in it's always increased the revenue. I will say something I learned as a host was please, if you can professionally maintain the hot tub because I, you know, got it and I was like, oh, we're good. We can train our cleaners on this and whatnot. And like, I got burned one time and it was the one time I needed to be burned and I won't do it again. And I had to, the hot tub was down. We couldn't get the chemicals to just balance out. So I was like, we have, we're draining it. I'm not like risking that. And that was a $500 refund that I was just like, because I wasn't willing to professionally maintain it for $50 a week, I had a $500 refund that I went through. And the guests didn't request that, but I was, it was a big reservation mm -hmm. that I was like, that was a huge bonus for her to have that. She even said she wanted the hot tub. So please, if you can like professionally maintain it or have someone who is trained to do hot tubs so you don't backfire because having that thing down could really hurt you um, in reviews and just future stays. But also something we are doing, um, for example, our cabin is on a 40 mile, like infamous bike trail. So we are doing e-bikes that will be with the stay. So if you stay with us for seven days, you'll get those e-bikes for free. If you're less than seven days, you can pay like, you know, I haven't mapped out the number yet, but let's say like a hundred bucks for your stay or something. Um, also we are doing a sauna, which I do think saunas are going to see a big growth and similar to hot tubs, just because hot tubs are becoming so mainstream that you can go to Costco and buy one for four or $5,000 and put it at your property. I think um, like the barrel saunas are going to be really cool. Cold plunges. That's something we've talked about at the yurt is doing a like cold plunge tank. Um, so these are things that you as a consumer and as an owner and investor, 
you are also consuming and choosing where you want to stay and what you like. So please think it's not as complicated as we might think it is. Yes, look at what your competitors are offering. That's a big thing too. But there can be amenities that you would also enjoy. And there's no reason why someone else probably wouldn't enjoy it as well. Um, So that's a big thing that I like to factor in. And there's also when you're doing a unique stay, there's things you're going to learn as a host that you have to treat differently than a traditional stay in your listing before your guest books with you, which we can touch on that if need be. But you don't just treat every guest. It's not as turnkey as you might think when it's unique. You've got to do your due diligence to make everyone's experience a lot better. Yeah. Let's touch on those little things real quick. We we have a little time left. What are some of those things that you were talking about that you put into your listing? The first year, which we're obviously we have winter um, seasonality. And what I like to tell hosts is what's obvious to you is not obvious to someone else who's traveling there. So, you know, you might have been traveling to Joshua Tree for the last 10 years. You've been there yourself. You've actually stepped foot in Joshua Tree. That does not mean your guest has. So something that you may think is obvious to you is not to them. So for example, in our listing, which I was, you know, fearful in the beginning of doing this, which is why I didn't, because I thought it was obvious. But in the long run, it paid off to, you know, in our listing, say, four by four is required in the winter seasons from November to March. If you don't have a high clearance vehicle, we're not the property for you. And to me, in the beginning, this felt like turning guests down and bookings down, which why would we want to do that? But after the first season, I actually learned that by giving that education and giving that disclosure in the beginning actually made for a way better hosting experience that season and for the guest. (laughs) Um, And I know Rob Bill, he touches on that too, is like, in your glamping units, you know, saying, please read the entire description before booking because, you know, Wi-Fi could get spotty or there's solar. So it's not always going to charge every device you have. When your guest knows those things before booking, it leads for a way better experience for them because they know what they could be getting into. And as a host, you're not getting burned with those reviews and those mentions and those problems. Your job gets a lot easier. So we disclose a lot of that. We have, we've kind of learned our pain points that directions are like our house doesn't even come up on Google Maps. So like I had to find a way to direct people to a house that doesn't have an address. We don't even have like a mailing address to ship things to. So there's just little things like that, that you might not think of going to the unique space that a normal home does have those like creature comforts. So disclose that to your guest. And also anytime a guest has like an issue or something keeps coming up, I always take note, is this an issue that more guests and future guests are going to have? Or was this like a one-off? Like, was this just the person I'm working with is just not getting it? Um, And once you get something, you know, a few times, that's your sign as a host that you could be doing a better job to educate them before those questions come up. So, you know, when people leave feedback and questions, take those into consideration to improve the experience for everyone and improve your business. But yeah, there's just little things that we've even had to put like a red solar light at the end of the driveway because people come up so much at dark that now I say turn right at the red light because I've literally got so sick of answering yeah. phone calls about like, where is it? I can't get there. And it's, I tell people yeah. arrive during the daylight, the mountains get really dark. There's no light. Like that's the point of the mountains. So those things seem obvious to us or someone who's living there or hosted there, but it's not to a guest that's coming from across the country. I recently had an experience. It was actually this past weekend where a guest checked out early because they heard a critter or a mouse or something in the cabin. And then they found mouse droppings and they like sent pictures and everything. And they said, you know, we understand this is a cabin, but we're going to leave. Would you mind refunding us for the the two more nights they were going to stay? And I refunded them for the whole trip. I felt so awful, so bad about it. And so my manager and I, we went into our listing and we just put a full disclaimer in there. This is a cabin in the woods. There are, we didn't use the word mouse. We said there are critters and bugs that, you know, may be around. And so it ended up working out kind of nice. So once they locked, the cleaner was able to come right in. And then me and my kids went and stayed there for the weekend. It was our first time staying in our fully furnished uh, A-frame. But I had somebody come in and seal everything and Mm -hmm. spray foam. And we set like traps in areas where, you know, people and pets can't get into that are locked, like some of the closets and things like that. But it was like, just like terrifying to me, like, oh my God, what are we going to do? And so I posted a reel about it 
There's a lot of other investors that gave really good advice. And one of those was to like, just put that full disclosure. Like Mm -hmm. this is an old, old cabin. Yes. It's been, you know, renovated to the T, but there still may be that little tiny crack or something that, you know, a mouse is coming in at. Uh, it's a really good point, Ash. And I think what a lot of people forget is that your your listing, your digital guidebook, your automated messaging sequences, those are living, breathing documents that should be updated based on the feedback that you're getting from guests through messages, through your reviews. Like we have a, I have a meeting with my team every Tuesday um, and we review our reviews for our properties on that Tuesday meeting. And it's very common for me to say, hey, we need to update the listing so people understand this. Or, hey, we need to update the digital guidebooks people see this before they get there or hey we need to update the whatever it is but you're always trying to um, make sure that you're setting clear expectations for your guest because it's, it's not always the lack of an amenity or the lack of of something at your property that gets you to uh, have a bad review it's the failed expectations that lead to bad reviews so as long as you're setting really clear expectations up front of hey the wi-fi spotty don't come here if you need to you know you're trying to stream whatever Fortnite, and you know watch your favorite you know <laughs> ufc fight you know um and like don't come here if you're, you're being interviewed of, on this podcast yeah if you're being interviewed on a podcast <laughs> you know so it, it's setting those expectations up front um Man, Zoe, what a what an amazing conversation so far. Like, I, I feel like we could keep going for hours here, but uh, I want to take us to our next segment, which is the rookie request line. And for all of our rookies that are listening, if you want to potentially have your question featured on the show, head over to biggerpockets.com slash reply, and we just might use your question for the show. So today's question comes from Miranda Weber. And Miranda says, we are planning on getting a cash out home equity loan on our paid off home for about $240,000 to use as down payments across three to four rental properties. Our goal is to purchase those rental properties um, this year. We have excellent credit, but my question is, what does this do to my credit each time we take out a loan for the investment? I know it will lower, but will it affect our interest rates as we take out more loans? Um, so Zoe, I'm not sure what your experience is here with the, you know, the home equity line of credit, but what would your advice be to, uh, Miranda in this situation? Yeah, it's a great question and definitely a dynamic question. There's multiple different situations that are going to answer that I would say. Um, but I will give an example with the HELOC and this might just kind of challenge what they're thinking of doing with it, which is, I think in real estate, like it's always good to hear what everyone's doing and then decide what's best for your strategy. But we actually chose to take out a HELOC and we put it into a property that we knew the main goal of that property was the equity and appreciation we were going to get with that property because we wanted that property to then appraise for a lot more than we purchased it for. So then we could take out money from that property to do a next property. So what's something that's interesting is you guys want to do maybe three or four properties, but this is where kind of what Ashley was mentioning earlier is as an owner and self-managing, that's three to four more listings, properties, units that you're now going to have to worry about where if those are just, let's say, three subpar units that are bringing in 8,000 total, 2,000, 3,000 each maybe, maybe it could be a better investment to take that whole HELOC and put it into one property that could be a stellar property for you guys. And this is just where you guys get to decide what's best for you. But we took let's say a $350,000 HELOC and put it into a property that was three ninety five, dollars And we actually had the appraiser, this just happened to ha- like happen yesterday. The appraiser walked down the street. I don't know like how many times that happens in life, but he walked <laughs> yeah. down and he actually said, oh, is this your guys' spot? You know, he knows like everything. Oh, you bought it for three ninety five. I can see when you bought it. He said, I just appraised in a cabin down the street for seven sixty, dollars and they don't have one renovation that's been done. It's full 1920s still. And if you guys, you know, call me when this is done, this should be appraised well over 800 to a million dollars, which is what we, that was why we bought it. Like we knew our, yeah, short term rental is going to do great. It'll look good. It'll be a cool property, but we're in this for appreciation and equity because we want to then take that property to leverage the next property. So it's a great plan. And I think it's, you guys have the great credit you mentioned, but something to think about is as an owner, what are you taking on logistically and what can you, can you take on three properties in the next six months? Like physically, that's 
it's not um, for the faint by any means. All right, let's go to our our next segment here, which is the rookie exam. Um, so Zoe, these are the same questions we ask every single guest that comes on to the rookie show. So question number one, what is one actionable thing rookie should do after listening to your episode? I would encourage any rookie that is in the short-term goals of unique stays is go out there and actually explore and research what your ideal unique short-term could look like. So kind of build a vision for yourself. And a lot of people, they'll ask me like, what do I do? And I tell them, go on Airbnb, the platform you'll eventually host on and search those categories that Airbnb is pushing. And where can you actually fall into those? Like, what is your ideal vision? Like you said, Ashley, you guys have like an A-frame, like that didn't just pop up out of nowhere. You had a vision that you wanted that to be an A-frame. So if you really feel this unique space, you're aligning with it, it's growing. I can confirm the category is just going to keep getting better and better. You need to understand where is your place in that because I believe there's a place for everyone. And if you're not that builder or you don't have a desire to bring something to life, then maybe you're the rehabber of a property or you're really focusing on a certain location or something. So really do your research, spend time on it because it can be a lot of fun. Like some of my favorite time passing things to do is go on Airbnb and find those unique stays. And I always like to encourage people create a wish list. Um, so you have those on your Airbnb account and just start favoriting properties you really like, whether they're doing a great job with photos or their listing description or their actual stay is like phenomenal. Go and actually start favoriting those so you can kind of build your dream portfolio that you want to go off of. Zoe, what is one tool software app that you are using in your business right now? I would say the biggest thing for short-term rentals is a property management tool that a PMS system that's really going to help dial in your business. I know I talked to some people who say like, you know, I'm so burnt out after the summer season. Like, what do you do to like recoup a little bit? And my response honestly is like, you shouldn't be that burnt out. Like if you have the processes in place for your businesses, like, I'm sorry, you feel burnt out, but you shouldn't because they really take a lot of the heavy lifting off of us as hosts. So, you know, there's so many different ones out there that you can use, but really making sure you have one that integrates with your business well is going to take a lot of that weight off of you. So your time is better spent, you know, working on the business, not in the business. I use Gessie for hosts right now. I've seen a few more pop up on, you know, in the industry. Some are integrating with AI, which I think we're going to see AI really play into the short-term rental space and managing your businesses. Um, but, you know, I've heard great things from quite a few of them. So, yeah, I use Hostfully and Tony are hospitable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So are you, are you using any virtual assistants in your business? At the moment, we do not. I'm on the verge of like, winter is our toughest season. Um, so I'm like, okay, is it is it time to bring someone in as we approach winter? Um, but we, with, you know, our software and processes, we've been able to really keep those expectations to what the guest is expecting. And we really don't have a lot of those one-off nuances. Um, and because we're in a unique area, remote locations and stuff, we really rely on like our boots on the ground team more than our, you know, virtual team per se, because, you know, we own two plow trucks, a skid steer, snowblowers, like there's a lot in the back end of the business to keep something like this open all year round. So. All right. Final question for you, Zoe. Where do you plan on being five years from now? Five years from now, we would like to continue to grow our unique stay portfolio. And we're young. We have the energy. We have the desire to keep going. Um, we've been lucky and very fortunate that our business allows us to travel basically full time and do this when we want. And short term rentals are very ebbs and flows. Like you work really hard for a few months and then you get those months back in your pocket and you get to do what you want. So we really do enjoy, even when the days are hard, like being in it and building something and seeing it come to life. There's really nothing that humbles you more than looking at like a half built house. And you're like, it looks so good. Like this is so good. And you're like, to most people, this looks like a teardown. Um, so we want to keep scaling that portfolio. And I heard a funny thing. Um, Christy Wolf, she does, she's a huge in the OMG category space. And she literally said, I build stays that I think are cool. And people come to them like she is probably, you know, not like the most of us. She says, I don't run numbers. I don't look at markets. I find things that are cool and I would want to stay at. And that's how I build my portfolio. And I'm not encouraging that, you know, run your numbers. But I just thought it was such a great way to it's not that complicated. Like 
we're all consumers out there. Um, and I just, I thought it was so funny. She's one of the biggest ones in the space of Airbnb for OMG stays. And that was her response on how she finds properties to do. Yeah, she, she's braver than I am because I, I got to run some numbers before I do anything. Yeah. I, don't, <laughs> I don't know if I have the courage just to let my heart sing in that well, way. Yeah. But yeah. Well, Zoe, thank you so much for coming on and taking the time to share your knowledge and your experience with us. Can you let everyone know where they can reach out to you and find out some more information about you? Yeah, you guys can find me on all social channels. Zoe Berghoff, um, feel free to Shoot me a DM if you have questions, if you're developing, I'm right there with you in the thick of it. So um, I would love to, you know, touch base with any of you guys. I do have some free resources. If you're interested, just DM me bigger pockets and I'll send them your way. Um, and those are just kind of things that have started in my business. So cool. Thank you so much. I'm Ashley at Wellform Rentals and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson on Instagram. And we will be back on Saturday with a rookie reply. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals. Enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.